0: Beautiful! Beautiful! We have the opening of the meeting, the club meeting, The World Is My Country Club meeting. Welcome, official official members and guests. So happy to have you here. I'm Melanie Bennett. I am a producer on the film, The World Is My Country, and now the facilitator of this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful club. And we are here to discuss the future people-powered planet and how we can get the world to work for everyone. So that is our discussion here. We have amazing guests. What happens is first, um, Arthur will introduce our guest speaker, Arthur, who is the director of The World's My Country and the host on the club, at the the club. And um, afterwards, we'll have a short time where people can raise questions. So what you do is go down to participant click on that, you'll see where you can raise your hand, you can talk for two minutes, I will ring this bell when it's two minutes and just finish your, your uh, sentence, and then we'll go to, the, and Arthur will pick the next person. So, without further ado, welcome again, everyone, and I would like to pass it on to Arthur Katagas. Arthur, take it away.
1: Well, it's, it's a great pleasure today. Thank you, Melanie. It's a great pleasure to uh, introduce my old friend, Merle Efkoff. Um, when I first met Merle Efros, she was working with scientists at the Los Alamos Laboratory, where, of course, you know they invented the atomic bomb and where they really worked on things that threatened the very destruction of our planet. And she was working on turning the the, the, the study of complexity science to peacekeeping and how we can how we can how we can basically uh, uh, make complexity science simple and apply it to peacemaking and 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 take that uh, the amazing scientific knowledge we have. And make it work for humanity. Uh, she's uh, head of the Center for Emergent Diplomacy, which is uh, uh, which you can go to online, uh, emergentdiplomacy.org, I believe. And uh, she's also done incredible mediations. You know, groups that are at war with each other and have impossible connections to break through. And she's done this incredible emergent diplomacy where she's brought these warring sides together and got them into dialogues where they began to understand each other and to really make big breakthroughs. So she's become very popular and, and known as a mediator that can be come into very extremely tough situations that many mediators would, uh, wouldn't would be able to really dare to function in. Uh, so she basically is taking the, applying nonlinear complex system thinking to how we can create whole system change. Now that of course is what Gary was all about. His whole idea of a people powered planet was how do we take this complexity of, uh, of a planet and all the different parts and meld it into something that can interactively create the future we choose? So without further ado, I want to welcome my very dear friend and special guest, Merle Levkoff.
2: Thank you, Arthur, so much. And, um, you know, I don't have too many heroes, but Gary has been one for a long time. And your film needs to be out everywhere in the world because now is absolutely the moment for this, as we know. Um, it's interesting when I, I think about the pandemic now that our borders are closing, particularly to the US, as we all know, because we have so many cases and we haven't been prepared for this virus. Um, and so borders are on my mind a lot as the borders are closing everywhere. It's and and. Gary's message was so clear back in 19, back at the end of the of the second world war in which he said we've got to get rid of these borders if we're going to have any hope for a really peaceful world and for global governance that's going to work. So um so I want to talk a little a little bit about that and uh, then about the new work that we're doing in terms of the warming planet which is changing very rapidly. So um I wanna say something about the wars that are ongoing now, because I was thinking about Gary a lot and about your film, Arthur, uh, and Melanie. Um, A lot of the wars, almost all the wars that are ongoing now are what we call proxy wars. There are other countries who have interests in those countries that and and they promote these wars and they feed these wars and they finance these wars. We call them proxy wars. They're not actually in combat, but they're supplying the arms, they're supplying the money. I mean, Syria was a classic example of that. And, um, And there are many of these still going on in the world now. And the reason is because each of these defined countries, which has very classic borders, um, are protecting their borders, and they're, they're protecting the, the wealth that they have. Most of the wealth is, is uh, in nature, and it's up for grabs. So, um, so Gary's, Gary's vision and, his, and the courage that he exemplified in that vision that he had was that if you remove these barriers, and there was some kind of global economy that was a sharing economy that would be equitable for all countries, Um, that the world would have a chance to be a more peaceful place. And this was right after World War II, that he started, he had tremendous courage. He started a whole social movement. I think that's what's really important for people to understand. We have social movements going on again, almost like the 60s all over the world right now. Um, The uh, Black Lives Matter in here in the United States is, um, is taking off all over the world as people understand that the civil rights movement is still unfinished. So people are, are being very courageous once again. And uh, again, it, I think about, about Gary because he created an extraordinary social movement. And today there are still, I understand, many people who are getting a world passport, right? So, so, so the idea and the vision is still alive and, and needs to be brought forward even more forcefully, I think now. I think now is absolutely the moment. I wanna say something new about global governance. One of our colleagues at the center is a man named Arthur Dahl. And Arthur, uh, two years ago, won a very big prize in Sweden from the Global Challenges Foundation for the best idea to the future of global governance. And his team wrote a proposal about how to reform the United Nations. It's, it's what we have now, and we know it doesn't work very well. So the SDGs are are not moving forward the way they were intended because the institution doesn't work very well and the structures of the institution. So, um, So Arthur and his team has just published a 500-page book (laughs) that you don't have to read all 500 pages, but it's extraordinary on the changes that have to happen in the United Nations. This is the kind of thing Gary would love if he were still alive today. I mean, for example, we we know there's a General Assembly um, and, and Arthur's team said the General Assembly has to be represented proportionally. That's not how it happens now. But even more important, I think, and this has to do with, I think, with Gary's vision, is that they have proposed in this um, reform of the UN what they're calling a second chamber of civil society. What that means is all of us have will become an intimate part of the proposals and the legislation and the decision making that will take place at the United Nations. Our organization is is, uh, facilitating and mentoring uh, a group at the United Nations called uh, the Global Youth Forum. And these are 80 young people from all over the world. who are looking to the future and how, how the UN can be reformed. This is under the UN, how the UN can be reformed and so that it can transition. To a new governance structure. So I, I thought people might be interested in knowing about that. I'm going to look down now, Melanie, because I want to get the name of the book right. It's the, It has a very long title, Global Governance and the Emergence of Global Institutions for the 21st Century. Arthur Dahl, D-A-H-L. Don't miss it, because this is the future of global governance. Um, So we are also doing a lot of work in Sweden now. Um, Our organization put on a complexity conference. The reason that I decided as a a long-term mediator who'd work in in lots of combat zones and and lots of places where terrible things were going on um, is that I, I finally decided that our problem solving processes didn't work very well anymore. And I was watching this new science. Uh, This is the new 21st century science of what's called complex adaptive systems, that the systems are changing all the time. And as we try to control these systems, and as we try to predict what's going to happen next, we fail over and over again. So, so I spent four years at Los Alamos of all places because I wanted to work with physicists and mathematicians and computer scientists. I'm a social scientist. And um, to see whether this new problem solving process, thats all about emergence. In other words, every, everything that happens is emerges in time. You can't really, it's, it, it's a fiction. It's a myth to think we can control what's happening on a global level. And we can't predict, we can hardly predict anything. And we don't get prepared for what's, hap- for what's happening. So I was looking for a new problem solving process that as a facilitator and a mediator, I could use with groups around the world. And so, um, so our organization is, uh, has been using this and testing this and we're developing a new playbook now for how you use a completely new kind of problem solving dialogue process to get people prepared because you can't predict, but you can certainly anticipate and you can prepare for the future. Um, so um, we set up a new, with the Swedes, we set up a new foundation to raise money. It's always a problem as we know for civil society groups. Um, so many people volunteer. We have many, many volunteers. I don't take a salary from our organization um, because we, it's difficult to raise money this kind of thing and and these kinds of visions uh, about doing something completely different and completely new. The name of the new foundation, by the way, in Sweden is the Planetary Balance Foundation. And it's all about preparing for what's gonna happen as the climate continues to warm. This is about global warming, species extinction, and the collapse, pandemics is part of this, and the collapse of the systems that are living systems. We are nature and we've separated from nature and we've left nature behind. So this is what's happening to the planet. And mostly it's happening because of technology. And um, I'm working with Stuart Kaufman. You might wanna look at um, at his um, YouTube videos, Stuart Kaufman, S-T-U-A-R-T. Kaufman K-A-U-F-F-M-A-N, and he talks about a juggernaut of technology that is destroying our living systems and our planetary systems. So we are looking at other ways uh, than technology to transition us into the future, and that future is likely to be um, likely to be smaller communities, all about community building. It's a lot about what's called regenerative agriculture, where everybody has responsibility for growing food, and primarily for fixing the soil. It's the most It's the single most important thing because we've destroyed the soil all over the world with our poisons, and so um, this is this sounds different, Arthur, than what I've been doing in the past, um, but I have seven grandchildren. Tom mentioned his grandchildren earlier. I have seven grandchildren and I want to make sure that they have some land, that they know how to grow food, they know how to how to make the soil arable so they can grow food and survive in the future as our systems are kind of at the edge of chaos and hopefully won't fall off the end. I have a lot of hope or I couldn't continue frankly to do this work. So we are um, producing very soon a new playbook for facilitators, Melanie to train facilitators to have these kinds of dialogues with this hope for the future and what could the future bring. And so um, I hope that there will be people interested in this and um, you can go to our website and leave us a message and I promise I will get back to you. So Arthur, what are you thinking about when I talk? I can't hear you.
1: There we go. All right, here we go. Well, uh, yes, thank you. I, that's That was very, very, very important and very much in line with, uh, with the things that Gary was searching for and trying to discover. Um, and especially, I'm so interested in what you were talking about, about these new uh, this new, uh, basically the playbook for this new problem solving technology. And maybe I'll fill everybody in a little bit on what Gary's quest was in that area. And then we'll take go back to you and say how what you're saying fits into that and how we can carry that forward. Uh, basically, what happened with Gary is, uh, uh, you know, when he realized that, uh, uh, that the nation state system was broken and that we needed to have, uh, and when he you know, called on the UN to create a government of by and for the people. And, of course, Eleanor Roosevelt immediately, five days later, turned it back to him and said, you know, if you people want to do it, do it, <laughs> basically. Uh, he, uh, it is the people. He realized we the people are the sovereigns. We're the ones who create governments. We've got to be the ones to create and invent something new. So he said, well, now, how do we do something so fast as create?" you know, uh, a government for the world. Well, we don't wanna just take the old models. That's what a lot of this stuff has been. Take the old parliamentary model that hasn't been working. Uh, well, it was a great invention in 1776, you know, cause you had to send somebody horse and buggy to a meeting, but now we can all be in the same room virtually. How do we do something new? So he hired a, a Buckminster Fuller disciple, uh, who was uh, uh, who Stafford Beer, who uh, uh, was a cybernetician uh, and, and a, uh, and, and, and they came up with this synergistic system uh, that Gary called Syntegrity. And it's built around Bucky Fuller's uh, geodesic sphere. Now, you know, if you take that old organization chart with, you know, the king, the president, the, whatever on top, and then the people underneath and underneath, and you turn that into a geodesic sphere, you then gain something, of course, first, first that has incredible strength, and something where everybody in the organization is on top of the world as that rotates. So, for example, if you take a company, and you rotate the sphere to the janitor, well, the janitor, if the janitor doesn't keep the bathrooms clean, if they're overflowing and smelling and people can't get in there, the whole all place shuts down. So he's on top of the world for keeping that functioning. But if he's not getting uh, supplies from supply, you know, that, that, then, then he can't do that. He can't get toilet paper, there's nothing he can do. So, so, so he fixed the whole organization. Well, they're not getting payroll, they won't be working. You know, everybody in the organization is on top of the world in their sphere, uh, so 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 the people who do you know systems organizing or management, they're on top of the world for that function. Uh, and if you take that func- that that design and you create, he'd have them create these interactive groups doing just what you're saying. Uh, and I think you've probably taken it a step further. How do you how do you break down borders uh, and and get people to think across barriers? Not win lose democracy, which. Uh, which again, it's, it was great in those days, but it's just, it's fully failed now. You know, we had Robert's rules of order was a great advance over chaos, but it was autocratic and top down. Now we need something new like what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, and so what uh, what he, uh, what with this integrity system, the idea was that if we organize the planet where groups across from opposite sides are, and we to start with all these Zoom meetings, you know, come together in meetings where they can make breakthroughs and they connect. And then those connect with other small groups and other small groups, all these geodesic spheres in other geodesic spheres and other geodesic spheres till so the whole planet is interactively in this vibrant global conversation that we can begin to create new ways of governing, the, governing yeah, our world. Yeah,
2: Arthur, you know, you're right about Bucky Fuller being so far ahead of it. I mean, he was just, talk about a visionary, right? And <laughs> in complex system science, which was just getting started actually about the time, this is the post-Newtonian science, right? Which is the way we've operated until very recently. Um, it was getting started when he understood, this is what you're saying, two things. One, that everything is connected. We're all systems. We're a system, right? The planet is a system. Every, every nation is a system, but we're all connected. And there's no reason for artificial borders in those connections, right? It's all about networking. And that's a new word that came in with complex systems, right? These are networks. It's, it's a very different way of talking about everything. And you also mentioned the fact, in a way, what we call distributed leadership. That's where the people power comes from. All systems have have leaders inherent in the system, but they've been suppressed by the kind of hierarchy you were just talking about, you know, with the top-down structures. Right. So if those structures can disappear and, and the um, leadership that is at work, at the grassroots level, at at the level where it can emerge, that's another thing that emerges in complex systems, then we can change everything because we need everybody to change everything, not just a few experts at the top, right? Not just, I mean, look what Gary did. Look what Bucky Fuller was talking about. So this is part of complex systems which is this idea of distributed leadership. Let's allow it to come forward. And that's what Arthur Dahl's group is talking about at the United Nations. We can't just have a general assembly. We have to have equal opportunity for civil society and NGOs and nonprofits to come in with their leadership and mm-hmm. help us solve the problems. So those are the kinds of dialogues we're looking forward to.
1: Wow, that is beautiful. I can't wait to, to read the playbook and, and be a part of that. Um, and uh, how how can we all be a part of that, uh, getting that playbook and and be involved involved interactively in what you're doing?
2: Well, you know, I'm reaching out uh, as we develop this playbook. I'm reaching out to many, um, many professional facilitators that I've known over the decades around the world that I've worked with and said, what do you think are the best new techniques that we can use with with what we with on the internet and with Zoom and with all these new platforms that are coming, for them. what are some new ways to get people really preparing for a future that is going to be radically different? And so, um, so we're not doing this alone. This is going to be a joint effort. So, if people are interested in contri- contributing ideas for how you facilitate groups, how you can be a leader and facilitate a group that's thinking about the future, not how to fix the present, right? I look to Arthur Dahl for global governance to fix the United Nations, but what kinds of new structures are going to emerge in the future and how do we prepare for that? Mm-hmm. And and that's what that's what the playbook is about.
1: So well, that sounds, sounds, sounds terrific. Um, yeah. One of the things that we've envisioned, you know, maybe if you saw our movie, Gary has this uh, this smart gov app, uh, and uh, uh, what, what, what we've what we've kind of been envisioning, and this was part of a proposal I did to that same foundation, although uh, we had a little slip up in the submission process. But uh, in that in our in our proposal, what we were talking talking about is that if you, you know, if you can imagine. Uh, you start off with, with if you open this this website, this app, you know, you've got the picture of the planet, and you can touch places where you are, and you can pull up different. Uh, you know, who are the groups working on environmental groups? Who are the people with right. similar problems I have? And say you've got a group that's got a problem. You know, we've got uh, you know we've got pollution being dumped in the in, in the river next to us. So you get on the site and you uh, you, you 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 set up these cross cross. Uh, connection conversations. You have on the on the left side you have a kind of toolbox of of, of interactive school tools so that say you are in a conversation with the with, with with the with the polluters and the people affected and the different stakeholders and you're trying to come to common ground. You have the top technology, your your playbook and the things like, well, in revolutionary conversations and convergence and convergency. And there's so many of these things that people are uh, getting the yes, you know, all these uh, uh, things that are striving to do what you're- Yeah, let me
2: say something about getting to yes, because I spent some time at the Harvard Negotiation Project, and that's kind of old stuff now. Right. Because, uh, getting to yes was about trying to reach some kind of consensus, and what we have found out, and I found this out over and over again as a mediator, particularly in conflict zones, what we found out is that the, the time you spend and the attempt you make to get people to agree on the same thing, uh, depresses the emergent creativity of many diverse and different ideas and doesn't get to, it, it, it doesn't get to the core. It doesn't get to the core. It was a big leap forward because they said diplomacy is happening at this level. It needs to happen at the interest level, but now we're going even deeper. So I just had to mention that now. We have to go very deep now because the, the planet is changing. Our living systems are changing. The planet is going to be different. And we are going to be living differently. So we have to go much deeper. And at this moment in time, I think it's a mistake to move toward consensus because we need every idea flowing. It's like a river flowing with so many ideas. And the ones that make sense will emerge to the surface. Wow. So I, work, I used to look for consensus, right? And for common ground, as we talked about, and uh, I think now we need to open the process up. Wow, that is problems.
1: That's very very exciting. Uh, it uh, it uh, brings to mind a bunch of ideas in my head. But I think I am, I would almost like you to repeat and and bring out more about that. That you know, trying to come to I mean, compromise was a step above win lose voting, but yes. even compromise is is again coming to but. But synergy is creating something totally brand new yes. that is not either what, what either side came to, not coming to a compromise, but inventing something new, and that's what Gary was talking about: sy- integrity and synergy, uh, uh, right. uh, synergy with integrity, uh, and with the tensile strength of the geodesic sphere. Uh, yeah. But uh, tell us a little more about you, you. said that just trying to reach a compromise suppressed that creativity. Yes. How do we unleash that 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 that, that creativity? That again. Gets all these. You mentioned there's so much distributive leadership at the local levels. Yes. How do we How do we release that? Oh, and before I finish, well, let you answer that question. I'll tell you one of Gary's answers. But go ahead.
2: Oh, I'd love to hear Gary's answer.
1: Well, um, go, oh, go ahead. On. what, what, her. yeah, what did, did Gary say? Well, um, okay. What Gary did talking about distributive leadership, he took refugee women in Africa who were at the lowest possible rung. They had no home, no country, no no passport and their women at the very bottom. And he put them, brought them into one of these integrity sessions. Yeah, It was incredible, the ideas that they came up. And he asked the question, how can we as sovereign world citizens govern our world? Well, you would think, you know, well, refugees what? right, govern our world. With, what, are we, what are you talking about? No, they were right into it. They were right there. They were interactive. They had incredible distributive leadership right there at that grassroots level. And they were brilliant. And, uh, you know, you, when you bring that out, you take the lowest rungs and you bring people together and you've got that incredible genius. So let yeah, me and we call,
2: that's, that's what we call emergent creativity. And I'm glad you mentioned that these were women because I haven't said anything about that yet, about how suppressed women's leadership has been, but it's finally coming, finally coming forward. Um, when I was, it, it's kind of like what, what Gary was doing in Africa. When I was working in Bosnia during the war, the men were either fighting or they had fled, so they didn't have to fight. So there were only the women left who had been, um, and, and these were Muslim women, and they had been in the home. And so to make a very long story short, we had a project with these women, and they, had, they emerged during the war into leadership because somebody had to step in. And now they're parliamentarians in Central and Eastern Europe, and now they, are, they were ready. They were absolutely ready to do what the men couldn't do. Mm -hmm. which was to make peace. And the same thing, by the way, because I also worked in the Northern Ireland peace process, the same thing happened in Northern Ireland. It was the women who came forward and said, enough, enough, you've got to stop this. We have a new way of thinking about how this peace can happen. So even these very historic, long-term conflicts, we need more women in leadership. I'd like to see a majority of leadership be women very soon.
1: You're here. Fantastic. Well, there's a great movie called Pray the Devil Back to Hell. Oh,
2: I, we love that movie. Well, it's fabulous. It. Tell us what happened there. Tell us. That. Oh, oh, well, these women. <laughs> oh, it's hard to talk about. Um, these women came up with a very new idea <laughs> to, to make sure the men would stop fighting. Um, they, they violated some very basic social norms Um, And they, uh, and the men were so embarrassed and so overcome by what the women were doing that they just stopped. They just stopped. They stopped. This, this film is extraordinary. It's, it's another film that we should be showing a lot. Maybe we should have a film series, Melanie, maybe a film series as part of the club. These fabulous films. I have a whole bunch of titles about films where people, people came up uh, from the conflict and, and literally stop the wars where the diplomats had failed over and over again. Mm. There are, there are a bunch of films like, it. it'd be great to show those.
1: Yes, well let's follow up with that and we can have our, our film list on our, on our club page for people and, uh, and, and do okay. that. Great, great suggestions. Yeah, we should have our, uh, our emergent film festival.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right,
1: right. Um, well, so, so explain to me a little bit more in this tool that you have. Um, OK, so we've got a group where people are at odds with each other. They're not agreeing with each other. And they're, and, but now they're connected. They reluctantly agreed, OK, we'll be in this Zoom meeting. But uh, it's never going to work. Uh, you know, I could never get along with those guys. But all right, well, what are you going to do for me? We're here in this meeting. What <laughs> happened now? Uh,
2: well, first of all, I didn't mention, and I should mention this, the, the play, the first Test and what we're doing with the playbook is for, when I say professional facilitators, I mean, people who have the right energy and the right personality can be a facilitator, but it is a learned skill. And it's a very important skill now. So the playbook is gonna be directed toward people whose lives are devoted to facilitating groups and have a lot of experience already. We've been offered a group of, oh my gosh, 1,500 trained facilitators in Ottawa, Canada. As a first place to test the playbook with professionals uh, to see how that would work. but the the next the next iteration will be, you know who wants to learn how to do this and who wants to learn how to how to, how to take these new ideas for how to move into the future um, that we're put that we're pulling together. Um, I, I hate to use technical language, but but we're calling the process, the adjacent possible, we call it tap. The adjacent possible, and that comes from complexity science, which is that regardless, humans are endlessly creative. Right? It's our species. We are incredibly creative. We're not as adaptive as we should be, but we're very creative. And um, and so waiting in the wings. Our answers to the problems we have now, which are unprecedented, totally unprecedented. Those are adjacent to the creativity we've already expressed over many, many, many millennia. And so this process we're calling the adjacent possible. It's a process of discovery. Mm. It's a process of, it's a journey through the future that you've never been asked to do before unless you were a science fiction writer, right? A journey through the future. And it's very difficult not to use what's happening now or the lessons from the past and just go into the future because um, all of that has a place. But the main thing that we're working on is what does it take to close your eyes as you just did, Arthur, and imagine a future that has never been imagined before. I think Gary was doing that also. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I do. That's why I just love love what you're doing and I love this film. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we're, we're inviting people, as I say, a lot of professional facilitators. I'm, I'm even talking to people outside the facilitation game. We're talking, I, I'm talking to theater people, for example. We're gonna use a lot of improv. We have to use art and improv and theater in our work.
0: Wow, um, I love that! Oh
2: yeah, that's part of the training, absolutely. So, um, <laughs> Gary, Gary would be thrilled. <laughs> oh, he'd be thrilled! Yeah. Well, I hope I hope everybody will be thrilled. Frankly, right.
1: no, it's <laughs> so, so important. If the arts are so important oh, to this, and, absolutely and, and essential. And the fact, that they like suppressed arts in schools was same, because that's how kids' creativity comes forth. That's that?
2: right. And Tom, Where's you them? know this, right? You know this. So, um, so art is absolutely essential and something else that's essential that I haven't mentioned before is, um, especially in Sweden, where our colleagues are, it's a relentlessly secular society. There's been a lot of damage done from the church of Sweden in the past. And so we, we are also in a time of what people are calling spirituality who don't who don't anymore belong to organized religious groups. But the truth is I think we need the whole faith community in addition to the people who have spiritual practices now. um, Some of our closest colleagues in this project are indigenous people. Um, uh, We have a young indigenous artist who's on our board actually, on the center's board. And um, she is facilitating groups of young indigenous leaders. First Nation leaders in Canada for the government. She's being funded by the government so that they can process all the the hurt and pain and genocide uh, of the past. So we're also working on that. We're interested in trauma as part of these dialogues because we honestly believe, particularly in America, that everybody has kind of a low level collective trauma now because of what's been happening in our country. So so that's the playbook is going to attempt to integrate all of these things so that we can have a very very different kind of group process and dialogue process in the near future I hope.
1: Wow. Well I love that the uh, the adjacent possible and I think we all as Gary said you know the whole world's a stage and and, and we're on it and mm-hmm. I think we're all called on to be the science fiction writers of our future because unless we can create the vision, you know, without vision, the people perish. And, and the only hope we have of surviving is not uh, re- rehashing the old systems, but is, 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 is visualizing, inventing, and creating something new. And that's, yes. that's what our, our club here is all about, is how to do that, so I love that. Uh, let's throw it open to see if other people have questions or, or comments they wanna jump in on uh, to ask ask Meryl about uh, anyone with a with a comment. Oh, it, are you raising your hand, Molly? Or are you just moving the my the the camera? <laughs>
0: I think Richard. Richard if Richard, you want I to talk, unmute,
1: unmute yourself.
0: Um, I'm I have to leave. Uh, hi Molly.
2: Hi Meryl. So nice to hear from you, and you look wonderful. Thank and you. And I love what you're doing. It's great. It's a uh, it's 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 fabulous. It gives us lots of ideas. Good. But I I have to run off and do
3: an errand right now, okay. for a neighbor. So. All right. Uh,
0: great Molly. seeing
3: you and enjoyed enjoyed being part of the meeting.
0: There. Yeah. Thank you, Molly. Bye. Bye. <laughs> and I think Richard. Richard, did you want to jump in? I think you had a couple uh, things in the chat you wanted to say maybe to tomorrow.
1: Yeah. Unmute yourself. Oh, I'm. Un- Richard, I'll
2: unmute
0: you. Oh, there you
4: are. Hi, Richard. Hi, Merle. Hi,
0: Hi. I'm
2: looking forward to really meeting you.
4: (laughs) Likewise, Um, I'm up in uh, Ontario, Canada, so um, be interested in uh, your connections there in Ottawa, because that's just Uh a a short day's drive over um, if COVID ever ends and things open Mm up. and if not, uh, then uh, doing the Zoom connections right. and uh, certainly involved with uh, indigenous people. So I uh, want to uh, support uh, that. I, I go to an affirming uh, church, uh, which, which affirms not LGBTQ, but also uh, First Nation people as well. So right. um, that, that that's sort of my background there. Uh, I really uh, am, uh, Wanting to know a little bit more about your uh, th- this uh, 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 integrity, uh, yeah, the adjacent possible we're calling, and the adjacent possible. So uh, can you again further elaborate on that?
2: Yeah, well, I'm happy to send you some. I, I'm happy to send you some text about it that we're already working on. I think that might be the best thing, Richard. Okay. Um, so that you have it, you know, you can see how how far along we are now. And I'm I'm happy happy to do that. Um, I think you have my my email address.
4: Uh, I don't think so, but uh, maybe uh, Melanie can put it in the chat. And
2: good, Great. good, okay. Um, and so then you and I can start talking about the actual methodologies that people are telling us about, and that we have experience in, that we think will be the best techniques actually for uh, facilitators who will be leading these groups. Yeah,
4: I'm not a a facilitator. I'm, you know, just a a Rotarian and a country doctor. But uh, I did take a conflict transformation course from Emory. uh Um, You know,
2: I have three degrees from Emory. (laughs) (laughs) That's my old alma mater three times. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. So, Richard, let me say something about about what you're talking you You're talking about an organization that's been a leadership around the world for decades, right, especially in peacemaking. And um, and I'm hopeful that um, as you and I begin a conversation uh, that maybe Rotary will be interested in this kind of new dialogue process for peace building and for peacemaking.
4: I, I think so, Ro- Rotary uh, is partnered with, uh mediators beyond borders right and so that they're into this whole facilitation uh Mm -hmm. uh bit um i've got arthur uh going to be speaking at a conference on the 10th of august Mm -hmm. and i do see that rotary uh at at headquarters at ri um in Evanston, uh they're still very conservative Uh, They they agree now that climate change and nuclear weapons are humanitarian issues, but uh, they've backed off on the nuclear weapons because it's controversial. So now where it's at is at the club level and at the district level. And so I'm just going to become our district governor and so hopefully can uh, move things along at that level.
2: That would be great. And I'm so glad you mentioned um, when I when I give talks and I've given several talks to Rotary, actually, in different places over the years. um, I, I even though our work is all about global warming now and climate change, I always mention that we have two existential threats and we cannot forget the other one, which is the proliferation of nuclear weapons. And because I spent a lot of time in Los Alamos as a guest scientist, and because I live downwind from Los Alamos, I also know that they're building new weapons and the next generation of nuclear weapons. And this is going backwards. And um, it's too bad that Rotary isn't paying attention to this, um, because that's the other thing. I mean, we have two big threats in the world, I think, and nuclear rearmament is one of them.
4: And the two are certainly interconnected. It's the Absolutely, inter- interconnected web, and right. so climate change causes uh, the lack of water. People right. then fight over the over the lack of water. That then becomes a nuclear war between India and Pakistan. Exactly,
0: exactly. And,
4: and then it, and then the nuclear uh, winter comes along, which drops the, the temperature, and so therefore again that affects the climate. Right.
2: You're, now, you're Richard, right. You're a systems thinker when you talk like that. I just have to say that.
1: <laughs> and Richard, aren't you also uh, with International Physicians for the for, for the the International Physicians for Prevention of Nuclear War? Is that it? Correct. Yeah, I'm co-chair
4: for North America.
2: Yeah. Good for you. Good for you, Richard. This, uh, you know, we can't we can't give up on this. Now that it's even, it really it's going backwards. So we cannot give give up on this. We absolutely cannot, yeah. So.
1: Are there other, thank you so much, Richard. I appreciate that. Are there other people with questions or comments who'd uh, who'd like to jump in and talk with Merle here?
0: Jane has her hand up in the chat. Hi Jane. Uh, yes. Um, this all sounds really fascinating. Um,
2: I, I'd like to hear an an actual example of how you've used complexity ideas in mediation or peacemaking. Okay. Um, I don't use a mediation model anymore. I should say that because I, after many decades of being a mediator around the world, I realized that the mediation model is a personal power. Model. People bring us in, people bring us in because they're stuck. And because uh, they're, and particularly if there's war going on and, and people are killing each other, they, they're stuck. And so they finally reach out for help so that somebody can tell them how to get unstuck. And the mediation, unlike the facilitation model, and I'm talking kind of technique here, the mediation model allows the mediator to suggest directions for the group as the mediation is going on. Oh, I hear a really good idea over here from Richard, or I hear, uh, can we move further on this idea? And so that gives a mediator tremendous power And what I've learned is that um, over many, many decades is that people ultimately have to solve their own problems and they have to own the solutions. And the best way for that to happen is to facilitate their own journey, their own recognition of what the problem is. And it's a different kind of skill. And so that's why we're developing this new playbook, because we don't think there's anything else out there like this. Uh, So I know this isn't helping you, um, but I can give you an example of how I was moving toward this even when I was still doing mediation. Um, I mentioned, I think I mentioned a few minutes ago, the Northern Ireland peace process. So I worked, with, uh, I worked with a lot of people in Northern Ireland, but I especially was interested in the fact that the women had risen up to stop the conflict. So I was also, at the, also working at the same time in the Middle East in Israel and Palestine. And so, um, so we got a grant to, to put a trip together. We wrote a proposal to a foundation and they gave us some money to bring Israeli and Palestinian women leaders who were trying to bridge what was happening in the Middle East, bring them to Northern Ireland, to Belfast, to meet with the Irish women who had really made peace. I I wanted them to have hope. And so the dialogues that we did in Northern Ireland were really facilitated dialogues. They weren't about mediation. They weren't about how do we get a ceasefire? How do we stop Israel from moving further and further and further into the occupied territories in the West Bank? It wasn't about that. It was about going deeply into thinking about were there similarities? Tell me, the facilitator, I would say to the group, what are the similarities between the historic conflict between Israel and Palestine and Catholics and Protestants, for example, in Northern Ireland. So imagine these Irish women and these Middle East women working together. And um, they were just, they were so excited about the opportunity to do this. Um, Some of them were actually diplomats, but they let go of their old diplomatic processes to do this new kind of reflection and deep thinking about peace building. I don't know if that answers your question, Jane, sorry.
1: <laughs> Jane, anything further?
0: Uh, no, that's very interesting, thank you.
1: Now, I see I see. Uh, uh, Cindy, uh, uh, tell us about Cindy, or is she, is she gonna come on?
2: <laughs> Hi, Cindy.
1: If you wanna say something, Cindy, you could unmute if you have any comment or... Or thought. So, Cindy is your is is your. Uh, tell us about it. Cindy Merle, Who is Cindy?
2: Cindy's my one of my daughter in laws.
1: Daughter, uh,
3: sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Cindy, <laughs> hi, Cindy. Hey, I'm so morning. glad
2: you got a chance
3: to watch. Yes, and um, Jonah was listening with me. Um, this is my was... grand one of my
2: grandsons. I have yes. seven grandchildren. As Wonderful. I said, <laughs>
3: yes. And we, um, but as you know, we have been um, doing. We we take farming and the soil very seriously. I don't live on a farm by any means, but yeah. my children have learned the importance of t- create growing your own food from the time they were babies. Right. So. Right. And. Um, they also uh, they learn how there. It was interesting because Jonah was um, home without me for a week, and he's 17, so he's very capable of doing that. But he went to the grocery store, and he said, "Mom, there is so much crap in the grocery store." Uh-huh. And I said, ah. <laughs> "Yay, Jonah! <Good. laughs> we don't see that food because it never enters our home." Mm-hmm. And he because I had said to him, if you want to make your own dinner, you could just go in the freezer section and buy something. And he (laughs) said, no, I want to cook my own food. And so, you know, uh, my perspective as a parent is to, is to make them aware that they are capable and independent of, of doing things just like eating a healthy meal that isn't processed and packaged and Yes, that's just one small thing that we do, but it makes a big difference if every single day you're not buying the prepackaged crap, as Jonah called it, (laughs) you know, and so that's, we talk about that a lot, but it was good for him to go to the grocery store and look in the freezer section and he was blown away.
1: Well, that, that's actually huge, Cindy, because, uh, you know, one of the worst things for climate change is our whole food, meat, you know, complex and, Yep. Uh, of, course, of course the military industrial complex too. But uh, if young people could begin to think like, like you're raising your kids, wow, that would really revolutionize the planet. That's huge.
3: Well, <laughs> you know? and one of the things, you know, I s- spend a lot of time growing our own food in the summer and shopping at farmers markets and shopping locally. That's something I've always done. But at the beginning of the pandemic I really started to look and even further and we do eat meat in our house. i mean I have two teenage boys and it, We might have a revolution if I wasn't feeding them some meat, but um, It's we're getting it all now from local ranchers. So I've changed that. And even though I was just buying organic um, Meat in the grocery store now I'm having it and now I'm getting it directly from the ranchers and cutting out the grocery store entirely. So that's is, been an interesting step for us. Yeah
2: and, and Cindy, you we haven't talked about this but uh, the, the people I'm working with in Sweden who are on the forefront of this new regenerative agriculture are very mm-hmm. clear that we need animals in our diet and we also need animals on the land for a variety of technical reasons. So they had finally convinced me, you know, we live in the West, Cindy lives in Colorado and I live in New Mexico. We in the West are trying to get rid of cows because they're destroying the range, right? And the riparian areas. But in Europe, uh, the cows, they're different cows. (laughs) They, They actually contribute to making the soil the way making the soil arable in a way we need to grow lots of food, and not well, do it in the way industrial agriculture does it. Well, so, and uh, yeah,
3: I'm buying the um, I'm buying pork and chicken now from mm-hmm. a farm outside of Boulder, and um, he was saying, let's see, hold on, I'm just going to read you a very small, if I can. Find
1: it. I just want to take another moment on that because I want to get to our main topic. But yes, uh, go ahead if you have a, a quick thing to, to comment with that.
3: He just said, um, he was talking about the pork that he was um, distributing to us and he said they had a good long life on the pasture in the summer, in the barn in the winter, under the trees, eating fruits, roots, vegetables, legumes, corn, and whey. Mm-hmm. the longer lifespan means that their meat will have more flavor and nutrition. And it goes on and on about that, Good. but it's Good. just, you know, it, yep. it, it, it all circles back to a lot of different things, so. Yeah, that reminds me <laughs> of the
1: indigenous thing that Richard's talking about, that uh, you know, that the uh, uh, the indigenous honoring of the, of the animal and appreciating the spirit and not, you know, not, it's very different than the packaged uh, automated slaughter of you know huge huge numbers of animals. So right. well, right. let's move on to any other questions, any other uh, comment or question. I'm not sure who. One person just called user, and we have Tom and Marilyn. Uh, any uh, any comment or question that comes to mind. Um, if not, then let me let me ask you one more question. Then so. Uh-huh. Can you just, uh, as we get toward the close, can you kind of give us a vision of your, you're your, your talking about talking to science fiction writers. If you could give us kind of your best case scenario, uh, uh, what would it, what would, what, what would the world look like? What would you, what would, how would governance look? Uh, how would our systems look? If you could, if you, if you were the science fiction writer creating the, the future that we're envisioning, what would it look I'm like?
2: I'm not a science fiction writer. But I, from what I gather from working with um, climate scientists and complexity scientists who are looking at this, um, the future is going to be more about community building and about, about farming, like Cindy was just, just talking about. Um, and it'll be small farms, not industrial farming. And we'll have a completely different economy because I think most people understand that the present global economy is unsustainable, and it's going—it's going to crash very soon. Uh, it comes and goes now. It, Wall Street is completely unconnected. It's one of the few things unconnected to anything else. But the global economy is in severe uh, trouble, and the pandemic has made it worse. And so we will be—we will be moving I think into and it's one of the problems for peace building by the way there will be billions of people will be leaving cities that will be flooded that will not be able to grow enough food I mean this is this is what the anticipation is and it's already beginning to happen we're already having new conflicts around the world because of immigration haven't talked about that at all right and this uh, most of this is, is a result of climate change uh, because of drought and fire and flood and the more intense that the, um, the more intensity of the weather. And so in the future, um, I really I, I, I think when I listen to these scientists, I, I think we're going to be back in smaller communities and we're going to be supporting each other with a sharing economy. This idea, of this horrible inequality that exists now will be just simply be gone because capitalism will be gone. I really believe that too, it's, it's served its purpose already. So it's brought us you know, the most prosperity and privilege of any peoples that have ever lived in the history of us being on the planet. But that has come at a, at a cost. And I think now we're gonna have to pay that cost but I like to think that the future can be even more wonderful. And, wonderful. More, and with with people flourishing in a different way and not not being so tense, <laughs> not working so hard. My my guys in Sweden tell me that the way they do farming, they only work three hours a day. And the rest of the time they have for reading and art.
4: Right. Wow.
2: Uh, and that's how I'm envisioning the future, and and their families, and spending time with their family.
1: Beautiful. Well, now Tom has a comment here. Let's uh, let's unmute your mic, Tom.
3: Yes, uh, uh, Merle. I, you know, I would like to ask Merle a question because of your uh, experience in war zones and so forth. Is just to share, you know, whatever you can on how how your groups, how you. Uh, personally, what what do you say to these uh, governments that build their entire economy around a military-industrial complex, killing millions of people? What what when when you've been in these discussions, what would you say to the people that are causing war?
2: Um. Tom, I don't say anything like that. That's for them. It, my, my skill is bringing them to say that to each other. Mm. And, the, and, and the best way to do that is to ask the right questions. I ask a lot of questions. Um, they have to understand what they've done. And frankly, I have sat down at the table with people who have been guilty, men, men, who have been guilty of killing thousands of people. And it's very hard. And I have, to, I have to make sure I understand that there's a human being sitting before me, no matter what that man has has done. Um, and social and, and some kind of justice has to happen also. And we haven't talked about the new justice models of, they're very new models of justice as well. And they're being played out in the streets by all these young people who are doing these social movements again. I'm so excited about that. So I think the answer is I don't, as I said earlier, it, it's, that's the old mediation model. It, it's kind of a personal power model. And I don't think that's how you make peace. I think you're you're skilled enough to ask the right questions to pick up on, on when people are beginning to agree with each other, not because you've searched for that agreement, but because they've, they've come to it themselves.
3: Wow.
2: Um, I hope that answers your question. Great. Well, that- that, that's great
1: and it actually leads right into a very important thing you talked about being these people who had actually been mass murderers, killing each other. And I, I think we're now time to, to wrap this up with a couple of announcements of what's coming now. Now, first of all, I'm also in the Rotary E Club of World Peace with Richard here, and you're all welcome to come to that because uh, this, 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 this coming week, we have uh, an old Santa Fe friend, you, you know him, Merle, uh, you know uh, Don Grady who was chief yeah. of police oh. in, in uh, Santa Fe. And then went to Bosnia. Yes, now tell, tell us a little about him. Oh, oh, oh he's, a he's,
2: he's a piece of work. <laughs> so go ahead, talk. We're almost out of time. Yeah, tell he he went on. to,
1: he, he, he took war, uh, uh, police forces that had been at war with each other. And he said, and he had to meld them into one police force. I'm not going to sit down with these people who are killing, we, we were, ki- they killed my brother, they killed my uncle, and I'm supposed to sit yeah. down and be in one police force with these guys? Are you crazy? And he had to meld them together, and he did it. He made incredible breakthroughs to make a powerful for- police force that could work effectively in communities. And, and that- I want
2: to mention, Arthur, which you haven't, which is that Don is African-American.
1: Yes. Yes. And so Don, so, so so, if you tune in next week, Jane's in it. I don't know if she's in it. If you're not, you should all come in it. Uh, come to it. It's the Rotary E-Club of World Peace. We'll send out an email if, if Melanie has everybody's email address here. I don't know who user is, so we can send you an email announcement. But if you go to Rotary E-Club of World Peace and look at, just search that and look at the, at, at, at the upcoming meetings, you'll see Don Grady next week, Tuesday at 630. Uh, and then also the following wednesday every wednesday we have our meetings um and so our next meeting uh the uh, wednesday after this will be uh david Gallup, who uh we had one 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 session with him you can watch online which was so exciting and so uh got people so interested they all asked for more can't we have another session so we're having another session with him he's the one who's carrying on Gary's work at the World Service Authority, yes. uh, he, they, they, they not only issue world passports and world IDs, but these, these documents, you know, we say, well, now with nobody traveling, what's happening? These have been crucial uh, lifesavers for people who, 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 when you're denied any papers, you're denied a sense of identity, you're nobody. And by having a sense of identity, you can at least get into the courthouse to have your case heard. You can at least get your kids medical care, you can at least enroll them in school. If you have no identity, you can't do anything. So uh, he's going to talk about that important role and how they're carrying on Gary's work. So I hope you'll all tune in uh, next uh, uh, next Wednesday, the same time, uh, 10 AM Pacific, and just put that in your time zone. And then I'm going to let, uh, thank Merle incredibly and, and, and tell, remind people you go to emergentdiplomacy.org, right? Right emergent, not emergency, emergent, not emergency. <laughs> diplomacy.org. Right. As in, what a great organization. And so go into that and, uh, and, and, and connect with Merle. Uh, you can post a message there and she'll put you on, a, 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 keep you updated because you're doing something new now. You're creating a, uh, this new foundation and you'll let people know about that, right?
2: Right, yeah, the one in Sweden, right.
1: Yeah, and so uh, so that's the Planetary Balance Foundation. Foundation. And boy, do we need that planetary balance. Yes, we do. So yeah. let's all get balanced. Let's join Merle in that. And now I'm going to turn it back to Melanie with incredible thanks from the bottom of my heart. Yeah,
0: Merle. thank you, Merle. Oh my gosh, thank you. It's wonderful. Bravo, yay. Thank you. <laughs> hey, If you're not a member yet of the club, please do join the club where we do amazing discussions of a fab and working towards a fabulous, fabulous, bright, wonderful future for all.